Well, good morning. My name's Mark. For the visitors here, can we just uh, give the visitors uh, some chaps I don't recognize at the back there? Can we give these guys a warm welcome? And just here as well. Good to have you with us. Um, guys, get comfortable. This morning, you're going to be here for the long haul. No, not really. Come on, it's me that's talking. Never gone for that long. Um, but there is 11 pages. So, yeah. <laughs> There's two words on each page. You're all right. Kick off your shoes, make yourselves at home, make yourselves comfortable this morning. We don't come into a Sunday morning gathering to be professional and to be, you know, formal, do we? It's a, we're a family together. And uh, we do stuff together, and we can talk together, and we can be together. And I really appreciate those guys. Yes, John. You can certainly. You absolutely can interrupt me, yeah. yeah. Don't do it on purpose, though, just randomly. That would just be weird. Um, badgers. Thanks. You know, that'd be great. Now, actually, I, that's a very good point, because I want to encourage a little bit of participation this morning. What I'm going to talk about this morning is um, not necessarily, I'm not going to preach this morning, really, although bits of it may kind of dip into kind of teaching and preaching. But what I want to do this morning is to remind us of what we've been talking about over the last uh, seven months. Um, I want to remind us of our vision that God gave us for the beginning of the year. Uh, and I want to talk about the seven principles um, that we kind of created essentially for life groups, but it's greater than that, and I'll go into that in a little bit more detail. Um, So what I need you to do then, if you take notes on a regular basis, get your notebook out and take it back six and a half, seven months, okay? So that as I'm talking, you can be reminded of what you took in your notebooks as well. If you don't take notes, or if you don't take notes when I'm preaching, um, then... Maybe get your notebook out today and start taking some notes. So if you weren't there for any of these, these weeks, then you can note down a little bit of what was spoken about. And it is going to be a huge kind of brush stroke. Because if I went into every kind of detail of, of these, these sermons that we were given, we would be here till about 7 o'clock. Because they're about half an hour to 40 minutes each. And over the last week, I've listened to every one of them. And... Kathy, my wife, has also listened to a couple of them and taken notes as well. And I really appreciated that because after you've listened to so many sermons in a row, you kind of want to go, oh, oh, that was brilliant, but just give me a break. Uh, uh, all good stuff. But I just I thought that was wonderful, a real example of a husband and wife doing something together and creating something together and being a, a team um, that works hand in hand. And I, I love that. And if you don't know it, many of the preachers that I, I bring... Kathy has a hand in it somewhere, so um, even if it's just listening to it and making commentary. So I just want to appreciate Kathy. She's not here this morning. Um, my little boy Noah uh, was ill. He had a fever last night, and he was sick this morning. Um, and so he's at home. So if you can pray for him, maybe in your heads a few moments or whatever this morning, and just pray that he recovers and that the illness doesn't spread to other members of my family. But we have Neve with us this morning. So she's representing our family, aren't you, sweetheart? Yes. Good. Good. All right, let's cast our mind back then to January. Um, And we started the year, I think, with God being really demonstrative with us. Do you remember that? Yeah, okay. You remember the parachute blessings that we had a a week, you know, where there was the kids with the parachute, 
and they blessed it, well, whatever it was, it looked like a parachute anyway, uh, and they lifted it, and we, and we went under it, we ran under it, those of us that were kind of, you know, happy to do that, and, and we were blessed by that, even though it's a really weird way of doing it. Um, do you remember the fire tunnel we had, or, or the prayer tunnel, or the prophetic tunnel, whatever you call it, and it, it kind of snaked around here, didn't it, and it ended up in the back somewhere. Um, I think Esther said I was like David, because I was small. That's what you said. Not for any other asset that he might have, or aspect of him, it's because I was small. No, you did, you did. I'm doing you a disservice. Um, <laughs> but it was great. It was great. It was, it was brilliant. And, and some weeks, particularly in January and February, we just carried on worshipping, didn't we? And I know we've done that a few times more during the year, but we just felt, you know what? God's doing something this morning through our praise, through our worship, and let him just carry on ministering to us rather than getting somebody uh, you know, up to speak and kind of ruining the moment, really. And, and that was fantastic. And he spoke to us through prayer and through prophetic words in those times together, as he does a lot anyway. But there was a particular, just a particular moment at the beginning of the year, those first few months, where he was doing something powerful. He was setting something in place. Um, if you remember, we were given a set of keys. Do you remember the big jangly keys? Uh, if, yeah, Sarah, I was going to say, if you're up there, can you put the picture of the keys up? But it doesn't matter. Um, there was a big jangler, jangler jail, jailer set of keys, and there was a word about that kind of being a demonstration of our activity in the city, that we were going to set the captives free um, with those jailer's keys. Now, incidentally, we have passed those keys on because we felt that God, yeah, he's given us our direction, our purpose now. We don't want to start idolizing these keys because they were just there to point towards what he wants us to do in the city. And we gave them to uh, Jeff Newton. Do you remember Jeff Newton? He's been up here a few times to speak. Uh, really, really great preacher. Uh, and we gave it to them because they also had a word about God opening doors. And so when we were at Nettle Hill, do you remember those? When we were at Nettle Hill, we gave him the keys and said, pass on what God has, has got for us. He's now, we're now passing it on to you. So there was a kind of uh, demonstration there. Um, so God prepared us, or started to prepare us for the year ahead. Uh, that ultimately is to see his kingdom built in our city. It reminded us of unity, that coming together and doing stuff together is the way forward. Striving to do things on our own is not the way forward. We'll never get anywhere if we just try to do everything our own. And again, this was repeatedly demonstrated at the beginning of the year because um, our Sunday gatherings were that, you know, they were just powerful, weren't they? They were just moving and they were shaping us and, 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 and there was a message of unity that came out of those times together as well. Um, John spoke, we had two weeks where we spoke about kingdom builders and that being our vision. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through and I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to pull out some of the, hopefully the main points of each of those preaches and sermons and messages, just to remind us. And that's why I'm asking you to look at your notes in case I haven't pulled out something that you were important and you needed to be reminded about that, because that was good. John said that with the authority that we've been given, we have a responsibility to bring down anything that challenges that which is in opposition to Christ. So let me just say that again. With the authority that we've been given through Christ, we have a responsibility to bring to each and every one of us to bring down anything that challenges that which is in opposition to Christ. And John said that there's no gray area, and I agree with all this. Uh, it's either the kingdom of God or it's the 
domain of this world, the domain of darkness. And our journey over the last seven months has been about learning to see the difference and be able to understand and what it is and how to become kingdom builders. And every week since the beginning of the year, you've had on the news sheets that are on your tables our vision to be kingdom builders, not empire builders. So the vision has been there to remind you every single week what it's about. It's also on the e-news as well that you receive on a Tuesday. We have to be kingdom builders, not empire builders. I'm skipping ahead of myself a little bit here. John developed a chart for us. Who remembers the chart that John developed for us? One, two, three people, four, five people, six people remember the chart. Nobody else remembers the chart that John... Okay, fantastic. Yeah, okay. Let me remind you then, for those that don't remember the chart or weren't here, all right, and I'm going to quickly go through this. I'm not going to open up these bits. I just want to remind you. So he created a chart, kingdom versus empire. Yeah? Yeah. That's funny. Okay. Uh, and he's, you know, he said, like this, where is the source? It is heaven, not the world. Who is the he- who's, who's got the headship? Christ, not man. Where's the foundation? It's in Christ's nature, not in sinful nature. So it's kingdom versus empire. Keep bearing that in mind. Where's the influence? It's through serving, not dominating. Um, the purpose, elevating Christ, is kingdom to elevate man, is empire. Uh, our dependency is, is on God, that's kingdom, not on self, that's empire. Our motivation should be love, not selfishness, which is empire, which is of the world. And our perspective is eternal and not temporal. Uh, It goes on to say as well that our glue that holds us together is a devotion to Christ. If it's our prejudice, I couldn't say it then as well. I couldn't say the word prejudice then either. So it's that word, and that's empire. If our prejudices are other things which we kind of focus on. What's our outlook? Our outlook is to bless and not to consume. Our focus should be his interests, not our interests. Disputes, it's kingdom to resolve disputes in humility, to seek restoration, and to forgive. But what the world does, what the empire of the world does, the domain of this world, is that generally when you have a dispute, it involves revenge, retaliation, restitution. We should be in a situation where we are content. The world can bring frustration. Is this, is this coming back to you, John? You're remembering these things. And the future is our dependence on God, not our anxiety. So I'm going to pause there. Our future is our dependence on God, not our own anxieties. And, 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 and this, the world of ours wants us to be anxious about stuff. It wants us to be frustrated about stuff. Um, and freedom. If we're living in the kingdom, it brings liberty. If we're living in the world, it merely brings indulgence. The world mindset, the empire mindset, wants to, to indulge every whim and fantasy that we have, whereas Christ brings us freedom. So that's that table. John reminded us that we're to show the world that we're a different kind of people, a people that is solely kingdom-focused. Is this ringing bells with everybody? Uh, he quoted from 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Some of the key ingredients that John touched upon as well, there was loads that John spoke about. And in all these, if you haven't taken notes, I recommend you go back onto the website or whatever, onto the podcast and listen to these things again. Some of the key ingredients for kingdom building and living in 2012 was much more emphasis on local living, or living local, should I say, and I'll move on to that in a bit, that prayer is to be foundational in all that we do, and that we had to work with others in our localities to bless our neighbors by doing good. And then I want to now move us on to the next week, which is Kingdom Builders Part 2. That's imaginative, isn't it? Kingdom Builders Part 2. And it was me, and I spoke that week, and I presented Kingdom Building as a plumb line for all that we want to do, and that we measure up everything that we want to do against this plumb line. And we're presented with a check as to whether we're building kingdom or empire. And that chart that John created is a really great way of saying, are we, in that, are we on that plumb line of kingdom or are we, are we tipping into kind of empire mindset, empire thinking? I stress that Sunday mornings um, when we meet, that that's not all that we're about. I think we can pretty much all agree with that. The Sunday mornings aren't all that we're about. And that when we focus on these times together as our only way of doing, doing church, then we're in danger of building empire and not extending his kingdom. Yeah? In that second part of Kingdom Builders, I laid out a strategy for the coming year and beyond which heavily involves, and I've alluded to this already, and you should know this already, heavily involves life groups. Um, But it was and is a strategy which is organic in nature, so we can mold and shape these life groups and how we do things, the strategy, together. I said that the quirk of our CCL family, so us here, is that we have folks that travel from all over the place, We do have a North Leeds bent, I I grant you. There is a number of folks living in North Leeds. But we are also from throughout the city. I mean, we did have, until they moved this week, Paul and Lisa Rary, who came traveling from Wakefield. We've got Mel and Jean Fish, who travel from Wakefield. And then we've got South Leeds and loads of other different areas. So people travel and always have from all different areas to, to meet together, to be family together. And that's a bit of a quirk. And that helps stress our emphasis on living local rather than focusing around this physical building here. And I read out, and I'm going to read it again, um, a passage of scripture from Isaiah, which kind of sums up what we're after. Now, I noticed Andrea looked down as if she's already got this noted in her notes, and she has. So if you haven't, Isaiah 58, verses 6 to 12 and I'm going to read it from the message, so it probably seems a little bit different if you've got some of the kind of more traditional versions. <clears throat> this is the kind of fast day I'm after, to break the chains of injustice, 
get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in is seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. Do this, and the lights will turn on, and your lies will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The glory of God will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You will call out for help, and I'll say, here I am. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins. If you are generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lies will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places. Firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the rubble of past lives to build anew, rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. And in some translations, most translations, it says, restorer of streets to live in. So what I talked about was about grabbing stuff from our past. Do you remember? Grabbing stuff that we've probably let go of far too quick or forgot that, that we had, had that. And if anybody remembers, um, I spoke about Bryn and Kerry Jones. And, and some, most folk in here, not everybody, knows that Bryn Jones uh, was someone we regard as kind of an apostolic father um, who had the vision uh, from Bradford. And in his book, The Radical Church, his, uh, his kind of first page is, is that. It's the latter half of that section. Uh, and, it's about, and he talks about being a restorer of streets to live in. So it's about us looking into our past and pulling it into our future, just as that when we pull into our present, when we pull the future, which is kingdom, into our now. And we put those two things together. A massive part of our past was solid teaching, demonstrative outworking of covenant living. Yeah? A sold out completely for one another kind of living. And this is something that can't just be worked on on a Sunday morning, but involves an emphasis. And again, so I'm coming back to this emphasis of living local, being the church where you live being a restorer of those streets to live in. I said that the hope of our strategy will help towards our goal of citywide unity with other church families. And it's about rediscovering what having covenanted relationships with one another really means. And you can only really understand what covenanted relationships really are when you do life together, not just a Sunday morning gathering. So it was a strong focus on life groups. And for these life groups, we created seven principles. And does anyone remember the seven principles? Come on, shout out. Come on, interrupt me, John. Seven principles. Community. Communion. 
Yeah, communion. Relationships. Yeah. What? It's in there. Come on, anybody else from the back? Accountability. Fantastic. Hey? Teaching. Teaching. I think that's all of them, isn't it? So relationships, teaching, prayer, excuse me, accountability, honoring, community, and communion, or bread and wine, whatever you want to call it. And it dawned on me very recently, and this is so funny, uh, those who know me well know that I really like Mark Driscoll from Mars Hill Church in the States. He can be a bit controversial, but I, I love listening to his preachers. And he was, he was it's funny, because as I was thinking about doing this, I heard one of his latest podcasts, and he was also sharing and reminding people of their vision. And he was going through this list, and I'm going, hang on a minute, that sounds familiar. And I think about five out of those seven principles he spoke about, that that's what they were aiming for and that we're going for. And he said, he said, all these are is about building church. <laughs> of course, all these seven principles are is about building church. And if we're building church, we're extending his kingdom, aren't we? His rule and his reign. And uh, it's so simple. Jesus is so simple. So it's, I think as we work out these seven principles, and they're not just for life groups. They're about building church, aren't they, like I've just said. So they're about us as a corporate gathering, a corporate people, and not just focus solely on the life groups, although they, they help. But if we do this, I think we will see, and we will begin to see more folks added to our number uh, and we'll see his rule and reign come into those lives that don't yet know him. Um, uh, just to quickly tell you, I had a dream. I can't remember the full dream. But I'm discovering more and more these days that God speaks to me through my dreams, and I just need to get into the habit of keeping a notepad at the side of my bed, which I'm really bad at. I kind of wake up and go, oh, I remember that. And then two hours later when I wake up properly, I go, oh, that's gone. I don't know what that was. But I remember this one particular conversation I had in the dream, and, and I was speaking to John, and I just said to John, how, how, how many people are we going to, how big are we going to get as City Church leads? And he went, we're going to get to 300 people. And I just, I, when I woke up and remembered that, I thought that's the only important bit I needed to remember from that dream. God is saying to us that we are going to rapidly build up to 300 members of City Church leads. And that when we get to 300, He's going, to get, he's going to tell us something else. He's going to get us to do something else. But believe that. And so the things that I've been giving out week on, week out now, these, these cards about leaving something of yourself with people, it's about us personally taking that invitation up to, to be Christ to others and to invite others along to these gatherings as well as to your life groups. Because that's the only way we're going to build and we're going to grow is if we all personally take a proactive approach to sharing Christ with others, and dare I use the word evangelizing uh, and being evangelistic um, and just telling people who Christ is and just giving them the good news of the gospel. It's all our personal responsibility to do that. And so we can fulfill that dream. We can be 300 people and we can be it within the next, I don't even want to give it a time scale. Let's just, God will, will do it, but I feel it will be quite rapid in our terms of our growth and our strategy that we will get to 300 and then we'll see what exciting things God does. Anybody remember the prophetic word brought over us concerning the ships? Yeah. Big ship, little ships. But let me repeat that. Let me repeat that. There's a big ship, hard to get onto, fully equipped, but hard to get onto. 
the little ships may not have all the bells and whistles, but they were easier to get into. So people kind of drowning in the sea, prophetic vision of the big ship. People swam towards the big ship but couldn't get onto it because it was just too high, but it was perfect. It was brilliant. It was this amazing ship. And if you were on board, you'd have a fantastic time, but they just couldn't do it. It was too hard. Prophetic word, those small ships, easy to get to, but not, more, not as fully equipped, still kind of a bit rough and ready around the edges and things like that, but they were more accessible for people. And that prophetic word, uh, in essence, is talking about our life groups, that the big ship is our Sunday morning gathering, that for some folks, it's just inaccessible. They just can't get it. They just don't. They just don't know how to plug themselves into it, no matter how hard we try. Whereas life groups are a really great way to get to know people, to get to know people on a much deeper uh, and covenantal level, that then you know, eventually they can then be brought back onto the big ship and they can be a part of that life as well. <clears throat> and again, pulling out of our past, that we came from Bradford, and uh, as far as I'm aware, Molly might be able to correct me with, with a nod or a shake of her head, that the foundation was a house church style movement, that we met in homes. And so all we're doing with emphasizing our life groups is we're going, we let that go far too quickly. We let that kind of covenantal deep relationship house group style go. And so we're just focusing back in on that. Um, I just need to say that that doesn't mean at any point, and I said this then, I'll repeat it now, just so everybody's absolutely seared into your brain, that doesn't mean we're looking to get rid of the Sunday morning gathering or whenever the gathering is. I don't want to put God into a box at all because there is something powerful that happens when the church comes together en masse and praises him, prays to him together, worships him, speaks together. There's just something that there is it's a different dynamic to life groups, to house groups. And they're wonderful and they're amazing for building up that level of relationships. But, but for that dynamism, dynamism of, thank you, I've got a problem with words this morning. And there's so many of them on that page. Um, is... Is, is there's just something amazing that happens. So just to reiterate, we will not and do not, there is no desire, and God is not saying this at all, to get rid of the, the gathering whatsoever. I just think I'd love coming to this gathering. Neve thought she wasn't going to come this morning because she thought she'd have to stay on with mummy um, because Nathan Noah wasn't well, and she was crying because she went, I really want to go. I really want to be with my friends, and I really want to draw pictures because when I draw, I draw what God wants me to draw, and I draw pictures of him. And, you know... I have that same kind of desire and that same kind of passion to want to come together and be together and worship together. So I'm just stressing, we don't want to get rid of the congregational gathering, the, the, the big gathering together. So let, let me just remind us of some of those seven principles then. So moving on to those. And again, it's a very broad brushstroke. Um, so keep on looking down at your notes as, as I'm speaking. So we have Martin Rowe come in. Uh, wonderful Martin Rowe, uh, and he talked about relationships. And he started by reminding us that the most important relationship we have is between oneself and Jesus. That's the most important relationship. Because a relationship with Jesus helps us find our purpose, and that we should all be a part of something. He reminded us that Scripture tells us that we're all baptized into the same body, the body of Christ, his church. Anybody remember the disembodied hand video that he showed? Yeah? And then he got us to shake hands, didn't he? Just to you know, turn to your neighbor, shake your hands, and he said, aren't you thankful 
that that hand you just shook is attached to a body. And he said, for a part of the body not to be attached, Martin said, it's a freak show. So if the part of the body isn't attached to the body, the bigger body, it's just a freak show. It's just a sideline. It's a side issue. It's something that, that's got no future. It'll eventually die off. It'll not happen because it's not connected to the body of Christ. So that hand will just finish and die because it's not, a, it's not connected to the main body. He talked about relationships that are genuinely plugged into the Father, our relationships of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. True relationships are never one way. This is just selfish. We're to be generous to one another in everything that we do. Selfish living will just end in need. Whereas a life that is intertwined with others is never empty. Do we agree with that? A life that is intertwined with us is never empty. Um, Martin reminded us that relationships, though, take time to develop. And no matter how long we know one another, there'll always be things that we will continually learn about one another. If you're a husband or a wife and you've been married for decades, I'm sure there are still little things that you go, oh, I didn't know that. I've only been married for just over 10 years, so you know, I've got a long way to go, but there are things which I knew about Kath. And then I go, oh, oh, no, I didn't. She, she does that, or she likes that, or whatever. There's always something in relationships that you can learn and continue to learn. And I would say as well, just going off the notes here, that that's the same with, in our relationship with Jesus. There are always things that are going to, just going to be revealed to us, that we're going to learn of, learn of Jesus, learn of who he is, how he is God in our lives. Um, Martin told us not to just think about what we can do for God in our relationship with him, but really it's to learn how we can just be in his presence. So not to stress and strain about what we can do for God. Well, that's a good thing. But really, it's about just learning to be in his presence. And he said, he ended up saying that that's what relationships are really all about. Just simply wanting to be in one another's presence. So when I come on a Sunday morning, for example, I just want to be with you guys. That's, that's, I, want, I want to praise and worship God. I want to be with you guys. And I would hope that that is the same feeling that you have, not to be with me necessarily, but to be with those guys here. And if that's not why you're part of this, then you've got to question whether you're just coming because it's religion, just because it's something you've always done, and you've always, that's, that's the way it is. Because that isn't the reason why we gather. We don't gather for religion. We gather to be together and to develop relationships with one another and Jesus. Um, we had Andrew Hulley with us very recently, and he talked about another one of the seven principles. What did he talk about? I'm challenging you, aren't I, this morning? What did Andrew Hulley talk about? Who's taking notes? Come on, Andrea. I know you're taking notes. Oh. Teaching. Teaching. Hey, fantastic. So it was only like two weeks ago. <laughs> Teaching. Um, however, Rue brought a, a, a word initially. And this is a word separate to his word, his message that he's going to bring. And he said that he felt God had given us, that city church leads, a fresh authority about speaking into the city, about the things that we want to see happen. And he said God wants to remind you that you are his representatives. And he wants us to speak into being his plans for the city. Wow, that's quite a bit of authority that God has given us 
here as a people. We may have given it to other folks as well, but let's just focus on us because that's the word that Rue brought. He also said that it's time for a rebuilding for us individually and corporately. He started his talk by asking us for the top three things that have influenced us in our walk with Jesus. So can you, can you remember what you might have said or wrote down? What was the top three? Th- I don't need to tell me now, but what was the top three things um, that has influenced us in our walk with Jesus? And he asked this because he believes that God reveals himself through those who have taught us and influenced us. And that's why it was important for us to take time to note down those people or events or things uh, that have influenced our walk with Jesus. He reminded us that we're to, we are to um, be instructed in the word to teach one another and to even admonish, i.e. bring correction to one another as long as it's done in love. And then he gave us three aspects to help us understand this teaching principle. The first was truth. And he showed us a clip of a few good men. And even though you might not have watched it, you might know the famous line, you want the truth, you can't handle the truth. And uh, he, he, he said that if we saw God, and God is truth, uh, fully, all at once, we would probably experience his wonder for a few moments, and then phew, we'd just probably, I don't know, explode or cease to, I don't know, something. God in his mercy, <laughs> reveals himself bit by bit. Uh, he also said and stressed that truth isn't doctrine or theology, but it's about Jesus, a real person that guides us and directs us through his Holy Spirit. He also said that in the Old Testament, if you remember, that folks built altars Um, of stone when God did something significant. And they did this to remind themselves of their encounters with God. And he encouraged us to remember God moments when we can say without any doubt that Jesus was with us to help us build those altars in our life. And Rue asked us this question, that if truth is a person, Jesus, and not just a body of knowledge, then how does that change how we relate to the Bible, God, and one another? So if God, uh, if the truth is a person, Jesus, and not just a body of knowledge, then how does that begin to, or how has it changed your thinking and how you relate to Scripture, God, and one another? His second aspect was being learners, and Proverbs 4 said, get wisdom at any cost. And he asked us, are we on a journey that is pursuing wisdom? We need to get into issues that not only fill the head, but fill the heart. He said here, he said this, outside, coming in for the first time. He hadn't been around for for, uh, quite a few years. And he said here at CCL that he felt we were a bunch of people who love one another and that we can be free in our learning together. Safe, speaking heart to heart. And if we want to be learners, he said we have to listen. Really listen. Listen, and not just wait for the appropriate moment to talk about ourselves. On the flip side, however, he also said, find good questions to ask. Uh, He said he has a a file in his computer, his laptop, where if somebody asks him a great question, he writes that down so he can ask somebody else. Um, And he's asking us to do the same. 
you know, find good questions to ask, write them down, then try them out on people, and then do that listening part. So really listen to the answer and not wanting to get to your next question. He spoke about corporate teaching, so kind of Sunday morning gatherings or events or conferences or whatever. And he asked the question, are we simply filling our notebooks and then turning the page? Or are we stopping to pause, look, and take in what we've just heard or wrote down? And he said, are we taking a sealer, a break? However, God also wants us to be active learners and to to do stuff with the things that we learn. Uh, Not just passively taking it all in. You'll just get fat, won't you? You All this kind of knowledge and information, you just kind of, you won't be able to move. But you've got to take it in and then do something with it. Get energetic with it. Rue also suggested strongly that we commit to being lifelong learners. Never, ever think that you have reached a point where you know everything that you need to know because you'll be wrong because there's always something else to learn. And that brings us on to humility, which was his last aspect. And he just, he just reminded us with one sentence that God is God and we are not. God is God and we are not. Uh, and the kingdom can't advance if we think we've got it all buttoned down, if we think we've got God in a nice, neat little box. And <clears throat> he said that God is our first love, and we need to let him show us how things are, or how, do we, how can we do things better. When we're humble enough to unlearn things, then we'll become more kingdom-focused when we're humble enough to let go of some things, some traditions, some things you've learned because there's a fresh revelation and you can let go of that, then you'll be more kingdom-focused. And Rue, at the end of his message, encouraged us, as I said earlier about my dream diary, encouraged us to write a journal, to begin a journal, to write stuff down, maybe in your iPad if you've got that, or your funky smartphone or something like that, Um, and see the thread of what God is doing from a greater perspective. Because you can look through a journal and you can see those dots beginning to connect what God has really been saying and what he wants you to do and where he wants you to be. And you can begin to sample some of his greater perspective when you note those things down over a period of time. Matthew twelve thirty four says, Out of the overflow of your, of your heart, the mouth speaks. Taken out of context, but I just want to, he wanted to reiterate this, just in the fact that when we're together, allow your heart to speak to provoke, encourage, and challenge. So now let's move on to uh, John Casey. He brought the principle of prayer. And John reiterated to us that prayer is foundational in all that we do and all that we wish to do. And he took us to 2 Chronicles 7, 11, 16. 2 Chronicles 7, verses 11 to 16. I'm not going to read it out, but he said this particular part of Scripture has four ifs. And three promises. If my people will humble themselves, if they will pray, if they will seek their face, if they will turn. And then the three promises. I will hear, I will forgive, I will heal. So all this is about putting God first and about talking to him humbly. John reminded us that we're a part of his house his church, and that when we pray, um, his eyes are open and his ears are listening when we pray from his 
house. And it's through this communication with him that we will respond, that he will respond, I beg your pardon, and will work with us in our city. John exhorted us to give ourselves to prayer. It took us to another scripture, again from Isaiah, and it was Isaiah 56, verses 1 through 7. I'm not going to read it out. I'll just tell you the, the upshot of it. The part of scripture talks about bringing in the excluded and the have-nots into his house. His house is a house of prayer, where prayer is continually offered for the land and for those that live on it. We were reminded of scripture where Jesus overturns the table in the temple area and drives out the animals. And John asked God to forgive us for turning his house into a marketplace. A place where man's desires and wants are put first. John reminded us that as City Church leads, there have been words prophetically spoken over us over the years, many times, over the decades in fact, that we have a mantle of prayer on us. Now, this mantle has ebbed and flowed over the years, but we believe, and John believes, that God is asking now that we're willing, are we willing to let this mantle remain on us and to be a continual house of prayer? His take-home point was that whenever you're with another believer, take some time just to begin to pray. Build it into your normal way of living and interacting taking time out when you're with another believer to pray. And it could be a simple prayer, prayer of thanks. It could be much longer than that. But just to build something into your life and the way that you do things where prayer is continual. Can, um, Esther, could you just quickly share about yesterday, talking of prayer? Oh, she's got a Bible and everything. Wow. There you go. I am impressed. You've got your smartphone. <laughs> Um, yeah, um, I was just thinking about yesterday. Mark asked me to share a little bit. And um, uh, how many of us were there? About there eight were, or ten? There were, no, no, no. There were 14. 14? Oh, mm-hmm. 14 people. Um, yeah, um, and mostly from City Church, but um, Brian Chasey came down as well, which was really cool to see him. Um, yeah, and um, it, for me, it was, just, it was just absolutely brilliant to, um, to, to be in the centre of, of Leeds. Um, just praying for the city and kind of claiming it. And I think the, the very act of just being like geographically and physically in the center um, was just so, so powerful. Um, I was just thinking about, um, uh, about the march around Jericho um, with, um, with Joshua. And um, I was reading through, through Joshua at the beginning of the year. Um, and one of the, um, the verses that really hit me in chapter 6 was, um, shout for the Lord has given you the city. So it's on their seventh go round, uh, round Jericho. Um, and, then, and then he says that, and then it's a couple of verses later um, when um, the, the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the city from every side and captured it. Um, and I think it's really, um, if you think about the tenses in that, um, in that uh, little, little extract about how the Lord has given you the city and then the walls collapsed, and I I think um, it's, it's really cool that, like, I think God's saying that over Leeds as well, that he's given us the city, yeah. um, and we've just got to pray that into being. Um, yeah. And I think what we did yesterday um, really exemplified that. Um, and what we did was um, we were on Millennium Square, um, and Mark prepared... Um, we sort of talked beforehand about things that we were going to um, dis- well, um, discuss with God, things that we were going to pray for. And we prayed. Um, so we were standing on Millennium Square, and around that, um, there's a couple of um, like key landmarks. 
Um, so we prayed for the health of the city with the, um, the hospital. Um, and then the arts in the city, praying for the creativity in the city, and that, that would um, glorify God. Um, and then, um, so that was the, um, the carriage works and mm. the museum and things like that. Um, and then the local governments, you've got the civic hall and the town hall quite close by. Um, and then the um, education, so you've got the universities. Um, and then homelessness, which we kind of poignantly said that there wasn't anywhere really to... Um, to direct ourselves towards. Uh, yeah, because as we were praying, we kind of turned our bodies like, to, to pray for in, in direction of each of these landmarks. Um, and then we prayed for asylum seekers and refugees as well, which is kind of the same with the, with the homelessness thing. There wasn't really a direction. Um, but yeah, I, it was just so, so powerful to be there and just standing in agreement for Leeds um, and for what God's going to do in Leeds. So um, I don't know when we're going to do the next one. Hopefully it'll be quite soon. I hope it'll be quite soon. <laughs> um, and I'd really encourage you to, to get involved next time. Um, yeah. Thank you, Esther. Appreciate that. Can we just show appreciation for Esther? Do you know, it takes, it takes some courage to, if you're not used to doing it, to get up and stand in front of 60, 70 people and talk. So anybody who gets up here and shares something, can you fully respect and honor them for doing that? Because it's a scary thing when all pairs of eyes are kind of looking at you. All right, that's why I need everybody to smile a little bit more at me. Um, okay, so... Let's move on then. So one of the other principles then I talked about uh, was accountability. And, uh, and do you remember that um, when I opened up this message on accountability, I reminded us of the Bering Bank collapse. Do you remember that? Uh, where the rogue trader, if I say, if I say Nick Leeson, uh, was able to bring down one of the world's oldest banks by being able to wheel and deal without any proper accountability, uh, which ultimately led to unsustainable losses and, and the collapse of uh, the, the oldest, one of the oldest bank institutions uh, in the world. Um, so again, I'm not going to go through that story, but just to remind you of that. I said that accountability is part of our lives and that pretty much all of us are accountable to someone or other. Um, but I did ask the question, silence reigns, I did ask the question, why do some seem to have an issue with accountability in church life? And I asked that question, and it went quiet then as well. And uh, I suggested that this is a disturbing trend of society influencing church rather than church influencing society. And that in our postmodern world in which we live, our actions are seen as no one else's businesses but our own. And if we can think of any recent church scandals, it's generally because there was a lack of accountability. And I suggested three ways in which we could keep ourselves, therefore, accountable after asking that question. And so number one was find a mentor. And if anyone can remember, I used Yoda from Star Wars as an excellent example of a mentor. Why? Because Yoda passes on extreme wisdom to his pupils. Yoda lives in a way that is to be emulated by others. And Yoda looks out for the good in all his students, and you're all thinking, what else did Yoda do? But he lived in a stone house. You know, you don't have to emulate that, but those three points. Extreme wisdom, emulation, good and honest students. And I said that you need a mentor who is honest and open. Someone willing to spend some time with you to share their strengths and their weaknesses. Someone who will share their triumphs and their mistakes. Someone who will share their joy and their pain with you. Number two, I said, find an accountability partner. I told you a story about a person who didn't want to go to the Sunday church meeting. He told his mother this, and she told him that he had to go. But mom, they don't like me there. His mother replied, but there are a lot of people who like you. Now, 
you must go. But mom, it's hot in there. And his mother replied, well, we'll sit near the back, near the door where it's cooler. But mom, I'm tired. I stayed up late last night. His mother replied, it's only for an hour and a half, and then you can sleep all afternoon. But mom, but she didn't let him finish. And she said, son, you have to go. You're the minister. (laughs) Now, in this jokey story, the minister of the church knew what he was supposed to do, but he needed a bit of a nudge to get him to do the right thing. And this nudge came from his mother, who was holding him accountable. So can I just say to every, every one of us that you have, um, you, you have a right to nudge. You need to nudge. We need to nudge one another, don't we? In some things, in some areas. And it's, it's okay to do that. It's okay to nudge. All right? Um, I reminded of us of Paul in Galatians 2, where he tells of us a time where Peter was ignoring the Gentiles he used to eat with. And this action caused some of the other Jews to do the same. Now, when Paul hears about this, he does the right thing, even though it's not easy. And verse 11 tells us, But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. Nudge. I mentioned David also being held to account by Nathan over the issue with Bathsheba. And I mentioned these two stories because these guys sought to hold these brothers accountable for their actions. They were serving as their accountability partners. And they did this not to embarrass their brothers. They did it out of love. And sometimes speaking the truth in love hurts. Bear in mind that I also warned about going out and pointing at all the faults you see in one another. Um, This wasn't what I was getting at. My point was that both of these examples are of people who had close ties. They respected each other. They'd bonded together enough to know that they could trust each other. They'd moved beyond their own pride and fear in their relationships to know that the other was only looking out for their best interests. So, so Hugh Thompson used to say, you have to build a bridge of love before you can drive through the tank of truth. Okay, <laughs> very good, very good. Um, I read out the popular proverb, 27.12, as iron sharpens iron, so man sharpens another. And so that when you find your accountability partner, and I hope that you guys have gone some way to doing that by now. Okay, uh, and if you have found that person, that this person, this person is, a, is somebody who challenges you to live a holy life and that ultimately they become somebody you would give your life for. They're one of those close friends that are, are even closer than a brother and that they are a person who you're comfortable with, sharing your sins, your weaknesses, your shortcomings with because you will know they will speak to you out of love and truth concerning them. And I accepted and it's quite clear, uh, this scares most people to death. Um, but we must, we must move to this next level if we're to have true accountability partners. And lastly, our challenges, challenges number three, to be a mentor. I read out some stats from the U.S. where one district school uh, is using retired individuals as mentors to middle school students and shared the results from this endeavor. Uh, and it, uh, the stats were 88% of these problem students, problem students, 
have increased self-confidence. 78% become more responsible. 75% have dramatically improved their self-control. 73% of these problem students worked better with others. 68% improved their grades by one whole letter grade. These problem students, and I've been putting it in quotes, were found not to have this kind of mentoring relationship at home. And so when they found that mentor as such, the results were extremely positive. And so I asked us some inward pointing questions as the church. These are the questions I asked. Do enough people in church particularly task themselves with raising the next generation? Do enough people do that? Do we find so many squabbles occurring in church because of a lack of mentoring? Do we have a lack of young folk in church because of a lack of mentoring? I spoke about Paul from the New Testament and how he had a relationship with a certain young man named Timothy. And even though Paul had a lot of things going on, he had church congregations springing up all over the place. And even though it would easy, been easy for Paul to focus in on himself and his work, he poured his life out into this protege. And we know that Paul wrote to Timothy, at least uh, Timothy, it's an interesting name, to Timothy, at least two letters to encourage and instruct. But he did more than this. He took Timothy by his side. And in Philippians 2.22, Paul says this, But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Paul describes this young man as a son, the closest bond there could be. They'd grown so close together that they'd developed a familial connection. And take it from me that as a father, you want to look out for the best for your son, for your children. And a son, in turn, should try and please their father. And I express the desire that we need more of these kind of relationships in church, capital C. These relationships are so, so important to every believer that we should not belittle in any way the value of these relationships in our lives. And then I asked some more questions, personal questions. Are you holding yourselves accountable to anyone? And I don't just mean your husband or your wife. And I don't just mean God, but somebody outside of those two very special relationships. Who is or who are your mentors? No matter how old you are, who is or who are your mentors? And remember, there's a distinction between an accountability partner and a mentor, though they might cross in many areas. And then finally, I challenged you was to become a mentor to someone or at least be open to that responsibility should it come your way. Okay, and then... Pat Gray, came and sh- Pat Gray came and shared with us Well, honoring she spoke on. Pat's looking at me now going, oh, I'm going to check this. Tick, yeah, I spoke on that, I spoke on that. Um, Pat shared quite a few scriptures, and, and actually I'd quite like to share those scriptures as well. So Pat talked about attitudes being at the core of a kingdom-building community. And she exhorted us to follow Jesus' example and an attitude as outlined in Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8. And it says this, Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and made, being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." 
Jesus' obedience began with an attitude. Just like Jesus, our attitudes need to be selfless to truly make a difference. We must walk the talk, Pat said. She also asked us how things would look if we all had respectful, honoring, and blessing attitudes. She talked about yeast. You can't see the action of it, but you can see the results. The dough is the yeast activated. In the same way, the kingdom is respect, honor, and blessing activated. Pat talked about the human way of dealing situations. We deal with the outcomes of situations and not the attitudes. We must remember to look underneath things to discern what the underlying heart attitudes are. And we must apply respect, honor, and blessing. She talked about the first commandment that was given to Moses in Exodus 20.12. Regard, treat with honor, due obedience, and courtesy your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God gives you. Pat said that we are to honor our families first and to embed the attitudes of honor, respect, obedience, and courtesy in family life. Pat talked about the times that when we have to challenge our attitudes, that it's messy, it's painful and uncomfortable, but that God is sufficient and he will teach us how to respect, honor, and bless in all situations and relationships. And she read from 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Pat encouraged us that the Bible gives us hope that we can change. Romans 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. She talked about being careful how we walk in our attitudes. Is this ringing bells for people? Um, we must be open-hearted and accountable to each other. It's easier to hear from the Holy Spirit if we have a teachable spirit within ourselves. Therefore, be careful how you walk. I don't know where this scripture was, actually. I've not noted it down, so my apologies, but I'm going to read it and you might know it. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine or that is dis... I can't read that. Thank you, dissipation. See, problems, words. Um, But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Pat ended her talk by talking about living from a perpetual life of repentance and always inclining our ear towards him, to his words and his ways, and to adjust our course accordingly. It might be a small adjustment, but it's necessary. And so she read this final verse from Romans 12, verses 2, and she read from the message. So again, it may seem a little bit different in your traditional versions. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. 
readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Just got a couple more to go, and I'll go a little bit quicker because of time, and John needs to share something at the end as well. Nick started, uh, Nick Howes um, came to talk about community, and uh, he started his message by saying he loves the word companion, uh, as com means together or with, and panion means bread. So companion could be said to say with bread. And community in his world is about eating and sharing life together. It's not good for people to be alone. He talked about when God created the world, stood back and knew that it was good, but it wasn't his plan for man to be alone. The need for community is the essence of who we are. People in the world are desperate for community anywhere, for people to share their lives with. Nick quoted a chap called William James, uh, a founder of modern psychology, and he said this, the greatest human need is to be understood and appreciated. There is a fundamental need to be around others, to have a connection with people that get you. Nick went on to talk about the fact that everybody wants to mean something to others, to belong and to have a contribution that is valuable. And this is what God's kingdom is all about. This is the good news. Nick talked about the number of people that live alone in the UK going up all the time. And he suggested that other cultures have it so much better than us. Extended families live together. There's a sense of community, of life together. It's not good to be alone. In fact, solitary confinement is the worst possible punishment for a human being. Community matters to people right on our doorstep, part of a family, making meaningful relationships where people are really interested in you. In the world, relationships can be shallow. He implored us to never be like that. You can't have huge depth with everyone, but invest in those relationships that matter and then try to be really interested in everyone else. It's easy to think that we as Christians have the best idea of community. And we go into a locality and we could possibly think, we're going to show you how it's done. But actually, you may find that the world sometimes has a better idea of what community is. It's just that they're doing different things in different ways. Nick reminded us of what Jesus said, by a love for one another, they will know me. And how does this happen if we're not in our wider than just here communities. Nick asked whether anybody remembered friends. Anybody remember friends? I'll ask the same question. Yeah? Anybody see your hand up? Come on, let's have some movement going on. Anybody remember friends? Okay. All right. It's a US TV program, and it was about a group of friends who were in each other's pockets, isn't it? Sharing life together, sharing the ups and downs. And this is something that Jesus is really into. Not friends, but sharing life together. <laughs> so share life He gave us a list of ideas based around the word share, and I'll quickly go through this. So share, simple, heart, adventure, radical, expansive. So simple, community is best formed 
in simplicity. Sharing the stuff that you do every day. Love one another. Serve one another. Carry each other's burdens. Pray for one another daily. That thing going back to make it part of your life. Praying together. A Jesus type of community built around the earthy essence of normal life. Not just getting together on occasions like weddings. You know, uh, these, this kind of gatherings. Sharing beans on toast together, he said. Others can be involved in simple stuff like that. And he asked us some questions. Are we, ha- are we having simple life together? What can I do? What can we do personally? And what are the spaces and opportunities in our life where uh, I can involve others? He suggested a local pub, maybe a parish church environment. Do a little more life with each other. Blur the boundaries between church and non-church people. That was his greatest uh, urge. Uh, Nick does regular Friday mornings McDonald's breakfast uh, before work. And anyone who's around, friends, Christians, uh, you know, non-Christians, whatever, everyone is welcome. And they just do life together. And they have Mackey D's on a Friday morning. Second thing was heart. Our hearts are in it, not under compulsion or a sense of duty. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Community flows from this. Religion without heart is dead. People with a passion and a desire to change the world. How much is our heart involved with this sharing community to restore or re-energize that zeal and passion? Go back to those things that you love to do. Intentionally recreate some of that stuff. Paul said from Scripture, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Adventure, do stuff together. Closeness is formed in it. When we meet together, inject some adventure. We're here to change our world, our street. Let's see what we can do. A sense of purpose, pumped off to do stuff. Groups of friends, why not plan a trip? Go away for the weekend, a day out. What can we do together? What are our dreams? And I'm so looking forward to our weekend away together. Radical, get to the root. Nick quoted from 1 John, if you claim to have the love of God in you and see your brother or sister in need, then you are a liar. (laughs) We're here for each other. The love of God demonstrates his kingdom, laying our lives down for each other. When you live in a community that then needs and lacks are covered. Take responsibility for others and for their problems. Wow. We cease to exist in a separate individualistic way. Jesus' people share life together. And it's a radical commitment with a capital C. It's a commitment. Um, How we can do this can't be prescribed, he said. It's just about being a true follower of Jesus and then responding. And finally, expansive. God's words to Adam and Eve was multiply. Good things always spread and develop. Successful things that work, grow. Share what we have and involve, include others. Remember, with bread. Who can we eat with? Food is a major part of his message. Never eat alone, he said. In everything we do, ask the question, how can we include others? And Nick suggested some practical ways of living out community. Um, Have a meal together. That was his first one. Find creative ways (laughs) to to do stuff with people. What actions can you take to live more in community? Where is there space in my life? Or where can I make space in my life to do that? Share our money and stuff. Sharing 
feels good. At the pub, it's my round. An expression of life as God wants it. What can you give away? Don't be so proud not to receive back. That's interesting. Don't be so proud not to receive. People want to give, so let them give and be blessed and then receive and receive the blessing. None of this kind of, you know, pretend, oh, no, no, don't do that. Receive it. Don't deny a blessing. Think about your time, what you can do with it. Help a neighbor or a friend. So, um, lastly and finally... Yep, you're all right. Thanks for sticking with me. We talked about communion, and I shared on communion. So I'll try as quick as I can go through some of these points without losing the essence of what it was. And when I talked about communion, I said that we have many names for it. And we're going to take communion together after I've said this bit here. And I said that we, we can talk, call it bread and wine, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, and so on. There's, there's many names. But at its simplest, they all refer to a time where we can join together as a group of believers, to remember what Christ has done for us. And if you remember, does anybody remember the, the, the tale of the group of Christians out camping? Anybody remember that little tale I gave you? Okay, no? Yeah? Good lad. Who wanted, they wanted to take communion together, but all they had was a packet of crisps and a can of Dr. Pepper. So they used this. They used the packet of crisps and the can of Dr. Pepper to have communion. And what I was stressing in that even though that wasn't their normal way of taking communion, in that moment, in that very moment, it represented their heart and their passion for Christ. I went on to explain about how it arose out of the Passover meal that Jesus was sharing with his disciples. And the Passover meal was to celebrate God's deliverance of Israel. And it's in the midst of this meal that Matthew uh, chapter 26 is set. And I'll read it. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks and offered it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. My aim for this message of bread and wine was to separate ourselves from controversy and disagreements surrounding it. And to see if together we could come to a clearer understanding of what communion is about and how we can best honor it. I talked about the great feasts of the Greco-Jewish times where people would bring great amounts of food to eat and share with their friends. And for early Christians, these became agape meals, which means love feast. And just like Nick talked about in his message, folks would fellowship together and share life. So when When Jesus was doing life with his friends, his disciples, it was significant when he said, do this in remembrance of me, as he broke the bread and as he shared the wine. I stated that every time we do communion together, Christ is asking us to make it an act of remembrance, not merely an idea of what happened, but a recognition, an affirmation, And this concept of remembering in the Hebrew mind meant more than just simply recalling something that happened in the past. It meant recapturing as much of the reality and the significance of a person or situation as possible in the conscious mind. Jesus is requesting that Christians think about the meaning of his life and his death on their behalf. 
a person can participate in communion, but if his mind is a million miles away, he hasn't truly remembered the Lord. I went on to talk briefly about when Jesus said, this is my body which is given for you. I said that there is a word used in this sentence which uh, brings it together in context, and the Greek word is hupa, which means for the sake of, instead of, on behalf of. So when Jesus said, this is my body, it's for the sake of, instead of, on behalf of you. Jesus gave his body for our stead. He paid the ultimate penalty so that we didn't have to. And I explained that it's more than a gift. It's a complete substitution of our debt. I asked that as you remember Christ whenever you take communion, ask yourself these questions and ask yourself these questions in a few moments. What has Christ done in my life? What difference has he made? The Lord's Supper is a visual demonstration, a visual demonstration of the love of Christ, his substitutionary death on the cross. And I read from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verses 16, 17, which says, When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. Remember that communion, common union, the act of sharing or holding in common, a participation, it is because of what Christ has done that we can have fellowship together. It binds us and it unites us. As we celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, we're identified together as followers of Christ. I went on to talk about how we may possibly take communion in an unworthy manner. And we take communion unworthily, I said, when we take it without, like I say, proper remembrance. We're not thankful for what Christ has done. We take it without any spiritual insight. Or worst of all, probably, when it becomes ritualistic. Paul in 1 Corinthians says, everyone ought to examine themselves before taking communion. So I suggested that we ask ourselves, what are your motives for taking the Lord's Supper? Are you loving God with all your heart? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? And who remembers the napkin and the wine demonstration at the end? Yeah? Anybody else? Yeah? And for those of you who might not have been here, let me just describe what, what I asked you to do. And I said that on the tables there was a pile of napkins and what I wanted you to do and what I asked folks to do and what most of you did was right in the center of the napkin the one thing that you think is standing in the way of your relationship, the kind of relationship that you want with God. So you wrote, most of us wrote that down. Or I said, write down one fear that keeps you up at night. I said, maybe there's a person that you're in conflict with and you can't seem to find a way out. And I asked you to write their first initial, not their name, because that might have started giving it away but just maybe their first initial. And then I asked you, I said, take your napkin. With your, I'm going to do it this morning. Take your napkin with a message on the inside. Put your finger on the spot where you have the, the words written. And I asked you to do that and to take it and to dip it into the wine. And hopefully with the napkins, it, the, the wine would start to bled through and over the words that you'd written or the name or the fear. And I asked you to unfold the napkin and look at it. 
And you should have seen, if it had all worked correctly, that the wine was covering completely the words that, or the initial that you had written. And I suggested to you that this is how Christ sees our pain and our fears, that he has covered them with his blood. There is nothing we can say that takes us out of his love. His love, I said, and I believe it now, covers us. Uh, I'm conscious in all that uh, Mark has shared this morning and even going back beyond that, that as a family of God's people, we have known such grace and such goodness from God. Um, uh, I, I do, I thank God that we're able to relate to things that, you know, family things that Andrea's been through and is going through as we speak. But I know her testimony is she has been so upheld and supported by friends and family alike. And it's, it is wonderful. Um, another element of that uh, grace of God to us, I want to say, just for those of you who are not aware, I know that uh, Mark put out um, an email communication this week, but about the building here. And if you remember, it was a year ago that we took a decision that we would sell the building uh, for precisely the reasons that we've been talking about, because we have a kingdom to build, not a, not a church. And um, in, I have to say, I believe this is a miracle, but um, we have had uh, an offer, an acceptable offer of £400,000 from a buyer for this this place and um, you know talking with the agent uh, who says you know there are buildings there are one-off buildings like this all around us that are just not moving not shifting uh, and so I'm bringing that piece of information to you um, as a an issue for praise for thanksgiving and just for the hand just to pray the hand of God will be upon it now, we felt to accept that particular offer as we prayed during the course of this week because we believe that God wants us to be generous with what we've been given, that we didn't want to press them for more. Um, it's another Christian community that wants to come in here, so we want to be able to bless them. Um, in terms of the what next, uh, that's still an unfolding picture, but we're currently talking with people from um, Living Hope, which is based in the... It's a, primarily a Nigerian community down in the centre of town. And um, what's been so good about it is that it's coming out of a friendship that we're developing with them rather than because we've got buildings to discuss. Um, and we are thrilled about that. So we'll be meeting together with them in September just to talk more about the actual detail of that. Um, but in it all... We're trusting God, and we believe God to be leading us on this path, which is going to see a fuller expression of his life and his glory in the city um, through us and through those that God is bringing us you know, into connection with.